The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Listen, we're interrupting a brand new series, so it's a big deal. We're in a series called Culture of Care. We're going to spend the summer on that topic. Um, but it's the 4th of July on a Sunday, and the Lord's just been stirring in my heart um, an encouragement and a warning. And I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to deliver that this morning on uh, Independence Day of 2021. And I think it's a pertinent word for our church, for anybody who will listen. And it's a message that our world needs to hear, and we're the carriers of that message. Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bible, uh, get one, bring it to church, but all the scriptures are on the overhead for you as well, most of them anyway. Colossians 2, 8 to 15. The reason that I'm breaking our series and addressing this topic this morning is because the reality is we exist within a spiritual battle, a war between what is true and the earthly powers of this age. Do you know that? That battle's been raging for centuries before maybe you were alerted to it, but now more than ever, it's important that we as the followers of Jesus understand what is happening and have the tools that we need to not, not necessarily uh, battle against it in the human sense, but to be on the side of prevailing truth. And that's what I wanna do. I wanna issue to us a warning and provide for us an encouragement. And I can think of no better place to do that than Colossians chapter two and verse eight. This is a letter of Paul to the church at Colossae. And it is a letter to people who had given their allegiance and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the creator God, the ruler of the universe and the savior of mankind. And by putting their allegiance in him, they put themselves in a vulnerable position of being persecuted. And there was an influx of of deceitful teaching that was coming into this church that was seeking to lead people away from faith in Jesus only as the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the world and to put on uh, new ways of thinking and new ways of living that ultimately contributed to their salvation and put them in the right. And the Apostle Paul knew better, and so he wrote strongly to, to promote the preeminence of Jesus and then to warn this church against being taken captive. And here's what he says in chapter two and verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The war that we have been caught up in is a culture war. And it's a culture war that is using jargon that is misleading. It is a culture war that appeals to concepts such as equality and justice and liberty and yet seeks to redefine and modify and ultimately change those words. We've already been rescued from a spiritual war that raged above us that we were caught up in and the enemy of humanity, we will read, is disarmed. And that's the good news, amen? But he is not yet destroyed. 
that part is coming. And so the victory is ours, but the battle wages on. Verse 11, the Apostle Paul continues, in him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over verses from eight to 15. We are introduced to the frailty of freedom. See to it that no one takes you captive and the triumph of truth. And that's what I want to spend our time talking about this morning. I want to warn you about the frailty of freedom, but I want to strengthen you in the triumph of truth. Amen? God, we thank you for your word that is power, that when attended by the Holy Spirit has the power to transform our hearts and minds, to open eyes to see, and to instantly bring about the transformation of regeneration. God, I pray that you would do your saving work in the hearts and minds of those far from you, those living under a lie who need to be delivered, redeemed, and saved. And God, I pray that you would, that you would position the disciples of Jesus present in my hearing to heed the warning to not be taken captive, but to stand in the triumph of the truth. God, do your work in us and may we be equipped for your purposes in this age, for your glory and for the good of all people. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. amen. I love the 4th of July and I always have. And partly that is because my parents always celebrated it from my earliest childhood memories when we were still living near our nation's capital. I can remember going, spreading out a blanket on a, didn't understand what everything meant, but it was a magical experience. Moving into adolescence and moving to the state of Florida, we always made trips between Maryland and Florida at south of the border. That was our Disney world. <laughs> and that trip never was, was complete without a trip to the fireworks store, which was open 24-7, 365. And so at any given time during the year, you could find uh, a drawer in the Jarvis boy bedroom packed full of M80s and bottle rockets and only the most dangerous stuff. We weren't interested in spewing fountains of light. No, if it didn't blow up things, we didn't want it. And so we learned the discipline of self-control by waiting until the 4th of July from Christmas to use the majority of our explosives. And so the 4th of July always had an allure to, it was always magical for us. Maybe you have the same experience, maybe not. Maybe it's something that you were raised around contempt regarding. Maybe a narrative of oppression and injustice gives you a perspective of the 4th of July that you'd say is less than amicable. It doesn't matter what your experience has been because the truth does not care about your perspective. Do you know that? And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to offer a warning to be heeded by those of us who take lightly uh, the things that we think we hold on to as truth. 
and may give you handles to hold on to some of what you're experiencing in the world, but I also wanna encourage everyone by the reality that truth will ultimately triumph. It was uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower who said of freedom that it has its life in the hearts, the actions, the spirit of men, and so it must be daily earned and refreshed, else like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it will wither and die. It's not untrue. Freedom is something that we celebrate, something that we enjoy, but it is not something that will prevail without our efforts. Do you know that? The founders and those before us knew this and worked hard to preserve freedom, and part of the reason is that there is a spiritual force that is seeking to enslave and captivate humankind. And in our kind of rational, postmodern world, the spiritual forces of darkness aren't particularly a popular topic. But the reality is that there is always an oppressive spirit that wants to take captive people and will do so by any means necessary. And so the warning exists for the disciple of Jesus that we would see to it that no one takes you captive. I love that Paul says see to it because this is like a parental thing. This is like when your mom and dad are leaving the house when you're a teenager and they want you to get your laundry done and what do they say? See to it. Make sure it gets done. There will be wrath if it's not complete. And so Paul uses a very strong command. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. The world is spinning filled with philosophy and empty deceit. I love the advent of the internet. I love having all kinds of information available at my fingertips immediately, and yet the warning is that a lot of it is total garbage and lies. Do you know it? And so don't think because you read it somewhere, that someone posted it somewhere, that it's reliable truth. You have lots of information at your fingertips, and yet not all of it is true. And so we gotta fight to stay free. If you've ever been in any type of oppressive environment, you know that's the case. If you've been in an oppressive relationship, if you've been in an oppressive religious environment, if you've been in an oppressive government setup, you know that in order to be free and stay free, there is a fight that you have to be engaged in because the forces are against you for freedom. And so here we are in the midst of this struggle between truth and power. And this has actually, for a long time, been at the very heart of the American experience, from the beginning. In fact, I thought it might be helpful to read on the 4th of July a portion of the Declaration of Independence and notice, notice the connection between truth and power in these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments, power structures, are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Do you see the relationship between truth and power? That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles truths, and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And then, of course, it goes on to throw King George under the bus and list all the terrible things that he had done over the past 16 years that made 
this a justifiable decision? Now, I'm not saying that we should be willy-nilly about overthrowing structures constantly, but here we have in these very words at the founding of our country a tension between truth, principle, rights, and power, and governments, and structures. And so these things have a tension about them. And the trouble is that it's hard to get your head around this tension because everyone on both sides of the debates and engaged in a push against captivity or willingly offering their rights to receive oppression unknowingly are using the same words. I don't know if this is driving you nuts or not. I literally don't even know what people mean when they talk these days. <laughs> and it is so frustrating. I don't know whether I agree with you or not because I don't know what you mean by the things that you say. And so I thought it might be helpful for us to have a brief recap of those important words, the, the triad of principle that holds the power in balance, equality, justice, and liberty. I love that in the Declaration of Independence, we have the self-evident truth that all men are created equal. Those are bold words to, to write and to pen to oppose the, the world's most powerful government in a set of colonies that enslaved other humans. These are trajectory-setting words. These, this is a check that the founders knew they would have to make good on. And to put them at the outset of our founding document that the American experiment would be based on the reality, the self-evident truth that all men are created and created equal. Our equality is sourced that we are created in the image of God, that we are image bearers. That is the reason that we are equal and there is no other outside circumstance that can alter or change that reality. And that's beautiful, isn't it? But a lot of times when people say equal, that's not what they mean. A lot of times when people start talking about equality and especially inequality, that is not at all what they are talking about. You see, the concept of equality has been hijacked and it's been hijacked to be redefined. Equality has been redefined from equality of value and therefore opportunity to equality of outcome. And if everyone does not have the same experience and the same outcome in their effort, then the world is not equal. And then there is not true equality. And this is about it. Because if you live in the real world at all, the world is not equal. Some of you are smarter than others. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us have more capacity some of us have more drive. Some of you only need three hours of sleep. How do you do that? <laughs> you ever meet somebody like that? That's not fair, is it? That they can be productive in 21 hours a day and sleep for three? And then some of you need your solid 10 or I don't want to be around you. I'm just saying. The world is not equal in all things and will never be equal in outcome because we are all different. Can I get amen? amen. The question is not... How do we make everyone the same? That's a dumb question and there's no answer. The question is, are each of us valued as equals because we're created in the image of God? Yeah. Yes. 
And do we treat each other as such despite our many differences? That is what true equality is about. This is why Paul in Colossians 3.11 can talk about in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or un, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. To be a disciple of Jesus, again, levels the playing field. There is no in-out group. There is no clean, dirty group. There is Christ and there are those in Christ and we are one. And so we celebrate our differences. We honor one another for our strengths. We support each other for the common good with the tools that God has given us. And we value human beings as being created in God's image in every variety under the sun. That is what true equality is. But listen, equality of value and equality of opportunity, and we should be, we should be fighting so that people have equal opportunity to use what you have to make the best you can. That's part of the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. But there will always be inequality. I just want to talk about these for a second because I don't hear lots of people talking about them in a helpful way. One of the ways that's talked about frequently uh, that gets under my skin and that is part of this conversation is the idea of income inequality. Do Do you know what I'm talking about? Not everybody makes the same amount of money. There are the very rich and there are the very poor and there's a bunch of people on a spectrum in between. And one of the things that is often used to hijack this conversation against the truth and for a power grab is to appeal to people's lack or want by creating this category called income inequality, which which without even thinking about it, moves us beyond a diagnosis of the problem into a solution that turns out to be very destructive. And it's not based on truth. You see, here's the problem. In a struggle between truth and power, truth will ultimately triumph. But power doesn't care whether it's using a truth or a lie. Do you know that? Do you know it? If you want to take control of something, sometimes lies are the most expedient. Other time, the truth becomes your servant. But power doesn't care about what's true. Power cares about what's controlled, who submits, what people believe, what they're willing to give up. And so in this cosmic struggle, we must be armed with the truth. And so whenever you hear somebody talking about household income statistics, it's bull. It's total bull. Let me show you for just a second. Very easy math. Household income statistics. We're going to talk about how things are getting worse for the poor in America. Household income, let's just take it this way. Let's say that household income used to be $40,000 a year. Now it's $30,000 a year. Poor people are getting poorer. Maybe, but what if you have two people making $20,000 each living together because they don't make enough money and they both get a $10,000 raise and now they're both making $30,000 and they're living in separate households. Now the household income has dropped by $10,000 while two people have become $10,000 richer. Is that income inequality? Or are we using statistics to drive home a point that may or may not exist? And so when you start listening to people banter using statistics and numbers and categories to make a point, don't believe what you're hearing. You exist in a battle and you cannot trust the voices of people who use words that you used to know what they meant. Does that make sense? How about another one? Here's a buzzword. Whenever you hear somebody start talking about the poor and the rich or paying their fair share, who are they talking about? Who are those people? Because when we talk about the poor, we imagine this group of poor people 
who don't have enough of what they need to live. How many of y'all have ever been poor? How about how, how many of y'all have ever felt poor? Let's, let's just start there. Yeah. Uh, how many of y'all used to be poor? Raise your hand. Listen, when you start talking about income categories, the categories remain static, but the people in them do not. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with the same people. The beautiful thing about America is you can go from being poor to being super rich. You can go from one category to the next. These are not fixed categories. And when people start talking about them as though they are, the poor and the rich, they're only trying to get you to think rich people are bad and poor people are unfortunate. And therefore, we ought to flip the power structure over to make things equal. That's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> and more people believe that than what's true right now in our world, and it's mind-blowing. And so we need a warning. The church needs a warning. Disciples of Jesus need a warning. And maybe if you actually think this way, if you've been fighting against income inequality, maybe it's time to go to the data and ask questions not about the categories, but about the people. Yes. Think about the super rich for a second. Well, you'll hear statistics like 1% of the population has 70% of the wealth. How dare they, by the way, be rich? You know, uh, all of us would like to end up in that category, of course, but how dare they right now? But even the way that our, those, those categories are structured, we think about income, annual income, and, and something like capital gains, they factor in the same way on these statistics. Somebody may work for 40 years for $40,000 a year up to $60,000 a year, and then in the 41st year sell their business for a million dollars and find themselves in the rich category in one of those spreadsheets. Do you know it? And the next, and they went all the way back down to another category because these Categories are very fluid and people move in and out of them all the time. There is no group of super rich people who are making a million dollars every single year for perpetuity. There's a handful of people that are making tons of money. That's true. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but for the most part, these categories are very fluid. And the beauty of, of, of the free market system and the way that our country works and even the regulation that we have in our country that I think lots of it is very good creates an environment where people can move from the low end of the income spectrum to the high end of the income spectrum through hard work and dedication in their own lifetime. And that is a miracle. And there's a lot of people that want you to throw that away. Just toss it. Just see it as evil because of its inequality. But that's not the equality that we're talking about. Do you understand? I've got more. One of the things that, that really hurts my feelings the most is when the three-fifths compromise in the Constitution is brought up to become an attack against black people in America. I don't know if you've heard this a lot. I listened to a book recently called We Got Answers by Charlemagne and James Thatcher. And one of the chapters by Nuri Muhammad anecdotally describes how black people are three-fifths human in the Constitution and then cites some, uh, some data about a, a black person and a white person coming from the same college with the same grades at the same time and get the same job, that black person's going to make 60% of what that white person makes. Now, that is all just anecdotal evidence. There's no data connected to those sayings at all. But then there's this 
this kind of euphemistic connection to this three-fifths compromise in the Constitution, counting in the southern states non-free persons as three-fifths of a person in the census for, the, for representation and taxation. And then there's this idea that the Constitution is this systemically racist document that needs to be turned over because it dehumanizes black people. Have you heard anything like this? This is categorically upside down. Not only are those statistics completely unverified, they don't take into consideration individual effort and hard work. There's zero individual responsibility, all categories. But the reality, the fact is that the three-fifths compromise was from the northern states an attempt to bring unification for the good of the entire country, including those who are currently enslaved, while many states in the North had already abolished slavery and were working hard to do so in the rest of the country. And, and in fact, the Constitution before this point counted slaves, non-free people, as zero-fifths human, because they weren't counted for anything. And now when you think about counting them as three-fifths, the impulse was from the southern slave-owning states to count them as whole persons for the sake of representation so that they could have more control in the government. And so the compromise was to say, you can't have representation for all those people who are unfree because they don't vote. And so we're gonna count them all 100% because they're human beings and we're going to multiply them by a factor of three-fifths for your representation and also your taxation. So this is gonna cost you. And so the compromise was there until the 14th Amendment when it was completely removed and it was for the purpose of unifying a country that needed to be purified of the scourge of slavery and in no way was a statement about the value of a black human being. And shouldn't be used that way at all today. But unfortunately it is. Unfortunately it is. I found a website that put it the best, African American Registry article, July 12, 1787, the three-fifths compromise was enacted. Delegates to the Constitutional Convention of Philadelphia that year accepted a plan determining a state's representation in the U.S. House of Representatives. It was ironic that it was liberal northern delegate James Wilson of Pennsylvania, it was actually not ironic, it's only ironic if you misunderstand what it is, who proposed the three-fifths compromise as a way to gain southern support for a new framework of government. Southern states had wanted representation apportioned by population, obviously, and the Virginia plan was rejected that the antebellum South would be strongly represented in the House of Representatives and would have disproportionate power in electing presidents. The disproportionate in which direction? We're giving you less power based on the people you have so that you don't have too much power, but we want to make sure that you're staying in the game. That's the point. The issue of how to count slaves split the delegates into two groups. The northerners regarded slaves as property who should receive no representation. Not true. Southerners demanded that blacks would be counted with whites. The compromise clearly reflected the strength of the pro-slavery forces at the convention. Totally false. Completely false. The compromise was built in to unify moving towards abolition. It always was. And to read history in other ways, just untrue. Intersectionality of race, class, nationality, and wealth for political control. I'd love to talk about intersectionality at some point. Don't have time for that today. This is representing a perspective and an ideology that is grabbing a hold of facts and using them to persuade people to think in a certain way, but it is categorically untrue. And if you do your homework, you'll understand what it is. It's precisely the exact opposite of what it's being said to be. Historian J.L. Bell says, the Constitution didn't define blacks as three-fifths human. 
as some now interpret that clause. For purposes of calculating presentation in Congress, the Constitution counted enslaved people in a district and multiplied by three-fifths before adding the number to the free people, black and white, black free, white free, but for other purposes as well. The Constitution, the Constitution defines slaves as no might have been better off not being counted at all. They'd been better off not being counted. As it was, their numbers multiplied by three-fifths, provided more influence for the rich white men in the parts of the country where they were enslaved. Those elite voters wielded disproportionate power in the U.S. Congress and Electoral College and state legislatures that followed the same system. Their representatives used that power to maintain their status and their human property for decades. That's the real lesson of the three-fifths compromise. Decision-making by the elite alone tends to maintain the advantages of that elite at cost to others. Powerful people tend to stay in power. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it also absolutely rocks, because everybody wants it. And so we ought to have eyes on making sure that powerful people don't stay in power. And that's what our government system was set up to do. Let's move people in and move people out and make people elected and give people term links. There's a reason for that. But we're living in a world where now all you have to do is be richer than the government and you get to control everything anyway. Especially public opinion. And so the war is the culture war, which means you are a soldier in it. And so you need to be armed with the truth. You need to be armed with what equality really is and where it comes from. You need to be dispassionately and for the good of the person who you're talking to. We need to heed this warning. See, the problem with equality, and I can't spend time, as much time on the other topics as I'd like to, but the problem with equality is that once you've redefined what equality is, well, your next step is to implement justice. And so by redefining equality, now you're able to modify justice. And so we don't have justice anymore. We have social justice. We have racial justice. We have restorative, reparative justice. And what does that mean? You keep hearing these words like reckoning. That presumes guilt, doesn't it? But the reality is that once you modify justice, you've lost justice. Because just, justice already stands up for the oppressed. Justice already sides with truth and cares for people, no matter who they are, where they come from, to do what is right, do you understand? And so when you modify justice, you lose justice. We used to be able to talk about these terms, and they meant something, and now they've come to mean something entirely different. And who wants to be against the side of social justice? I mean, all justice is social. Do you need courts if you're alone on a desert island? Who's going to sue you? Who's going to arrest you? Justice is social. Listen, and God is just. This is the point. Jeremiah 9:24. I am the Lord who practices, look, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You know God is on the side of justice. You don't need to modify it. All you need to do is accept his definition of it and everything will change for the better. Think about it this way. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the fountain of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, our God, his work is perfect for his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just 
and upright is he. And so if you, if you lend yourself to receive God's definition of justice with no modifier, you will get all the justice you're looking for. You can see in the law, Leviticus 19, the famous section of the law Jesus quoted as the second great commandment that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Remember it? Do you know that it stands in the section of the law related to what we might call social justice? Leviticus 19.9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Why? Why would you not get all your produce that you planted, that you grew, that belongs to you? Why would you do that? Why? Social justice. This is Israeli welfare state. There's people who don't have land, don't have farms, don't have food. And so you leave some margin on your property. You run a corner, a, a nice circular angle around the corner of your property, leave a little triangle of unharvested food so that the poor among you can glean. Stuff falls off the truck, you don't pick it up. That's for other people. Built into the system of justice is welfare for the poor. And the goal is that they would not stay poor forever. Yes. Do you see it? And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. You shall neither gather your fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. And, and, and God in the law keeps punctuating with a statement of who he is. I am the Lord your God. Ooh, okay. Boss. Okay, boss man. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So there must be justice. There should not be st stealing. There should be property rights. Do you see it built in to God's law to the Israelites? You shall not oppress your neighbor. The kind of justice you'd like to live in a nation that's characterized by? I would. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you until night, until the morning. No, somebody is working for day labor, day wage, and they need the money at the end of the day. You're not allowed to pay them tomorrow. In the law, give people what they earned immediately. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall, not, you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. That is the um, Israelite Disability Act. You see it? God's looking out for everybody right in the law. You shall do, verse 15, no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not the life of your neighbor. Listen, the justice that's happening in our world today with its modifiers is the exact opposite of this command. There's definitely a preference to the poor. In fact, there's an impulse to turn the whole situation on its head. Why? Because they don't care about truth. They care about power. And if you can get a lot of poor people to get angry enough, then you can get them to do what you want and feel good about it by calling it justice but it's not justice. It's in fact injustice. See, we are called not to prefer the poor or defer to the great, but to use God's definition of righteousness, yeah. justice, and steadfast love. And here's, here's why this matters the most. Because as soon as you modify justice, you lose liberty. The state to redefine and change for you and implement upon other people what reparative justice looks like, what social justice looks like, when this reckoning begins, what happens is that you have now handed over your rights, not to a mythical state. There is no such thing. There is only people with power. That's it. That's it. And so the warning is real. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the elemental spirits or human tradition. 
not according to Christ. Because in Christ, we have true liberty. Do you know it? See, in Christ, when it's working towards equality and constrained by justice, what do you get? You get an all-powerful God that in love dies the death that humanity deserves so that in his name, we might experience freedom from captivity, from the enemy's grip, and from our own flesh, fleshly desires. We might be set free and given a new heart and new power and new strength in dependence to sit upon him. It was the right thing. It was the right thing to declare independence from King George III. But when you have a king like Jesus, all you need is dependence and faith and belief and a, willing, a willingness to follow. Listen, he is the one who dictates equality because he is the one by whom and for whom we were all made. He is the one who executes justice in the earth and it needs no modifier because he has a morality that is his own, that is based in his nature and character that does not change and does not shift and cannot be swayed by popular opinion. And when you put your trust in him, you will find yourself more free than you have ever been in your life. Listen, before Jesus, I lived a slave to everything that I couldn't control. Our world is calling us to respond to what's inside of us and call that identity. I want this and I want that. Your body will never be satisfied. It will always want more and less sleep. You will kill yourself because you are a slave to your own desires. But in Jesus, you are set free to be everything God made you to be. Do you know him? And that's where true liberty lies. Jesus in Luke 4, 17, opened the scroll of Isaiah 61 and read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and restoring of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I want this year to be the year of the Lord's favor, the year of freedom, the year of liberty, the year of because You've been sucked into a battle and a contention and you've been tricked and, and persuaded and there's all kinds of philosophy and empty deceit coming at you and using words that sound right and good and appealing to things that you already think and believe and feel deep down and so you're caught up in this. But listen, the truth will ultimately prevail. Listen, freedom is frail. It is. You've got to water it. You've got to fight for it. You've got to protect it. You've got to do hard work to maintain it. But the truth will always triumph. I quoted Dwight Eisenhower as we open. I want to quote George Washington as we close. Truth will ultimately prevail where there is pains to bring it to light. And so all we've got to do is be willing to... Un do you wonder why the richest and most powerful people and corporations are supportive of the hard radical left agenda toward all of these things we've talked about? Do you wonder that? Do you wonder like everybody with lots of money, even with great inconsistency in practice, is 100% behind this narrative? Big tech, big media, all of it. Big pharma, you name it. If it's big, they're left. Why is that? Why is it? Power. Listen, the powerful only get more powerful. Why wouldn't they? 
It doesn't matter. It will be inconsistent. You'll go, how does this work? Why would that, why would they sell out that way? That doesn't even feed their interests. They're going against, why would Facebook lose $5.4 billion after censoring the sitting president? Why? Why would they be willing to do it? Don't they exist for money? Oh, they're going to get more money. As soon as you give them all the power by letting other people decide what's right and what's true. Yep. I trust, I trust you. Take me away. This is the appeal. But listen, we are the bearers of truth and truth sets us free. So what can you do? Romans 12, one and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed and you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's your three E's to leave with. Number one, entrust. Somebody say entrust. And trust and offer yourself to the only wise king. Don't trust anybody out there. If they have a website, they're probably lying about something. Don't entrust yourself to any politician, any corporation, any promise. You don't entrust yourself to anything less than God because no one else will die for you. No one else will give everything to give you what you need out of love. No one else will, but you can entrust yourself to God. You can offer yourself to the only wise king, a king you will never have to declare independence of. Secondly, examine. Someone say examine. Exam you know, you have ridiculous sources of information flowing in your direction constantly, and it's all from the same angle, and it all has the same agenda. And so if you want to have different thoughts or think critically or ask a question, they're not going to make it easy. You got to do hard work. Here's two books for you to consider. Take a picture of these with your phone. Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. And Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham. Read these books. They're short. You can read them in like an hour. They're not long books. They're full, full of actual facts that align with reality and help you understand the false narrative that's being pushed on you to, to redefine equality and to modify justice and ultimately to remove from you the liberty that Christ died that you might experience and that our founders risked everything to provide for us. And so let's not flip the system because it's inherently broken and racist. Instead, let's do some work to find out what's true and let's engage in debate and you know this is real because people are being censored for it. Do you know that? You don't ever censor someone because you're telling the truth. You censor someone because they're telling the truth. Do you understand? When you squash the debate of ideas, you're only seeking what? Power! And so why should we be afraid to talk? Why should we be afraid to learn? Why should we be afraid to investigate? And so we entrust ourselves only to God, but we examine carefully the prevailing narrative. Do not take it at face value. And then lastly, engage. Somebody say engage. Engage your mind in the renewal of truth. Um, you ever been brainwashed by something? You ever come out of that and gone, what is wrong with me? How did I let that get over? How did I let that take me over? Listen, I've had that experience and I don't want to have it again. And so I won't let anybody wash my brain. But I let the scriptures wash my brain every single day because it didn't start clean and it's not going to end up clean by itself. And so I need a good brainwashing, just not from any of y'all and not from any station and not from any podcast and not from any social media platform. I need a good brainwashing, but I need it from the only wise king. Amen. Amen. And so we got to, we got to entrust 
we got to examine and we got to engage. I hope I ticked off some of you. I do. I hope that I encouraged many of you and I hope I really ticked off some of you. And I hope that in your discomfort or in your anger, or in your confusion, you take seriously the things that I've claimed in this brief sermon and do some homework, examine, engage. And I guarantee you what you will find if you are a diligent student is you will find people who will agree with you. And if that's as far as you want to take it, then that's fine. But if you want to engage in truth, if you want to prevail in the battle between truth and power, then don't stop as soon as you find someone who will reinforce what you already think you think. Hmm. And for those of you who are a little scared, uh, freedom is a frail thing. It's a flower to be tended to. How many of you guys, you have flowers at home? Anybody trying to keep flowers alive at your house? It can be a little tricky, right? Here's the amazing thing about truth. You can pave 10 acres of concrete of lies over truth. And that truth, like a dandelion, will find a crack in the sidewalk and pop right up and bloom out in front of everybody and put its beauty on display for all to see. You can't stop the truth. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to keep a lie intact. Oh, but the truth will break into your heart. Truth, prove me wrong. I dare you. I dare you. And I'd love to talk to you about this personally and in more detail, but I want to pray as we conclude and go home. Sorry, we skipped the last song, Bill. And thanks for the pads. That's nice. Got to pray for every person in my hearing who is learning about who you are, who is taking in information about who you are. God, I thank you that you are the God who speaks. You are the God who reveals. You are the God who always moves. You come into our space. You come into history. You come into suffering. You come into life. You join us in it so that in Christ we can be made whole. God, I thank you that your word establishes us and teaches us to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, that your word presents for us what true justice is, justice that needs no modifier, that is lined up with the God of righteousness and steadfast love. God, I thank you that your, your word to us gives us the warning that if we heed it, we can preserve freedom and encourages us that ultimately truth will triumph. God, we thank you that we have a savior who is not conquered and in the grave, but who has emerged victorious out of the tomb the king of truth, the prince of peace, and that we are here waiting, seeking to be faithful as we await your return, King Jesus. And God, I just pray that we would engage in this battle, the battle that exists first in our own heart and mind as we deal with these categories and topics and words and definitions and statistics and data, and it's dizzying and difficult. But God, I pray that the truth would prevail in our hearts and minds, that you would renew us and refresh us and strengthen us. Let us not be conformed to the world's standards, but transformed. God, I just, I pray that you just draw every single person, that miracle of truth that just draws people out. God, I pray that people who did not know you loved them so much and that there was so much freedom to be experienced and transformation, Lord, that they would with glad and grateful hearts receive it. Name. All God's people said. Amen. 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 Amen.
God bless you guys. We got, we got mighty men happening this Thursday. It looks like we may have a hurricane on Wednesday. I'm not sure. So watch your phones, youth, aged kids for what we're doing. You guys have a wonderful 4th of July. Uh, I want you guys all to leave happy. So if you're angry, come talk to me first, all right? Love you. God bless you. See you next week.